0: Uh, we were, uh, many of you know, on vacation in June, and we went, on, uh, we went on a road trip. One of the places that we visited was a place in California we had watched a documentary on called The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, it's on Disney Plus or Hulu or both of those. Uh, it's a great documentary about these people that took this basically just kind of barren piece of land. Uh, these are some kind of before-after pictures. They took this barren piece of land and then totally transformed it. Uh, they took stuff that was dry and dead and uh, not producing life anymore, and were able to cultivate it and were able to produce. They call it regenerative farming, and it's this whole thing. It's it's really fascinating. I encourage you to um, go to California or watch the documentary. Uh, one might be cheaper and uh, check it out. But it's it's amazing, and the Bible really gives us this picture often of barrenness and then fruitfulness, of things that are dry and dead, and then God taking that and creating fruit. And that really is a, an image and a picture of what God's vision is for your life. It's God's, in, uh, God's vision for our church. God's vision for us as his people is to take what is dead and to bring life. And farming and agriculture is a great image of that. What, what do you think about when you think about fruitfulness? What do you think about when you think about God bearing, creating fruit in your life? What, what comes to your mind when you think about fruitfulness? It might be joy. It might be, yes, some, now there's, there's life that's happening, and this is exciting, and I love fruit. I love biting into a juicy nectarine, and it just kind of going all over you, and you kind of look like a zombie almost with all this stuff. I love that. It's great. It's joy. And maybe when you think about fruitfulness, you think about growth. Something wasn't producing anything, and now there's actually growth that's happening. There's movement that's happening. Maybe you think about productivity or things that aren't creating anything, and now there's actually progress that is being made. Maybe you think about blessing. When we think about fruitfulness, the idea of that is not just for us to grow and to have joy, but it is also to bless others, that you create a farm so that you can give food to people. You create fruitfulness, God creates fruitfulness in us so that we become a blessing to other people. So I don't know what the examples are that you think of when you think of fruitfulness, but what would it look like to become more fruitful in your faith? to become more fruitful in your marriage, to become more fruitful in your friendships, for our church to be more fruitful. What would that mean with the images that God gives to us? It's hard in our life to experience barrenness. When you think about barrenness or you think about kind of the images, the before pictures, we might think of dry spells in our faith. We might think of things not moving forward and not progressing the way we would want in our faith or in our relationships. If you think about barrenness, you might think about pain or sadness, frustration, where things aren't moving, things aren't happening the way that we want. You may think about apathy and just not caring. Everything's kind of just dead and that's just how it is and don't really know what to do with it. There's a lot of reasons that we can experience a barrenness or a dryness or a deadness or a lack of fruit in our life. There's a lot of different things that can contribute to that. But one of the key killers of our fruitfulness, one of the things that actually keeps our lives dry or barren or unfruitful or unproductive is one that we don't often think of, and it's laziness. Now listen, there's a lot of caveats I could add to this. There's a lot of things throughout the sermon that I could say this. Oh, there's a lot of reasons that you're not, that there's barrenness here. And yeah, there's this exception and this thing. There's a lot of stuff. But I'm just going to tell you this now. This is my, the only time I'm going to give a caveat. There's not going to be any caveats in this sermon. So that's my one caveat. And the reason for that is because that's not how Proverbs speaks. Proverbs speaks just kind of here's what it is, here's what it's like. And there might be exceptions, and there might be things to think about, and there might, but that's not how Proverbs wants to instruct us. It wants to give us, here's truth, deal with it. And for us to consider that, for us to think about that. So we're going to talk about laziness, and it's often overlooked. It is a key killer to the barrenness, to the fruitfulness in our lives. It's a key contributor to the barrenness in our lives, and yet it's often overlooked. It's one we don't think about. Even, in fact, if you even think about laziness, a lot of times when we think about laziness, we think of it positively. You might have even said, someone might have said, what would you do this weekend? He said, ah, oh, we were just kind of lazing around. Oh, so sinning is what you were doing this weekend. <laughs> right? That's probably not what, like we think of laziness almost positively. Ah, oh, it's just having a lazy Sunday, just having a lazy Saturday. We think about it maybe even just kind of silly. If you Google laziness, there's just kind of some of these pictures that come up. And it's not, It's not something that you have to get a filter for. It's not something that you're like, oh, that's awful. It's just kind of almost silly, right? It's just maybe even appealing. You're like, that looks more comfortable than I am right now. (laughs) You can think of uh, it it just kind of almost like a joke. There's this thing that came up, 41 hilariously lazy people who are borderline genius. So it's almost laziness isn't something we're like, oh, that's really going to kill my faith. There's things that we almost laugh at or think are positive. Here's one last one that was kind of funny. If you're feeling lazy today, just know that over break, my mom asked me to vacuum my room, so I YouTubed a vacuum sound and laid on my bed. If my kids do that, now I'll know. So now you can't do that, right? So laziness is a thing that we think is not a big deal. But actually, in the book of Proverbs, this is from one of the commentaries reading through this, says Proverbs is intolerant of lazy people. They are considered the epitome of folly. So rather than it being just kind of a laughable thing or a silly thing or even a positive thing, actually, in the book of Proverbs, it is one of the pinnacle things that takes us away from the wisdom that God has for us. I don't know if you've heard the term, the seven deadly sins. That's something that uh, theologians and philosophers have talked about for centuries, almost since the beginning of the church. And laziness is one of the seven deadly sins, slothfulness. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Seven. It's a movie from the 90s, but a serial killer who kind of goes through all the different seven deadly sins. I think it's on Disney Plus. You can probably watch it there. Um, but But it kind of goes through all the seven deadly sins, saying these are awful things. They can destroy your faith. They can keep you from the life that God has for you. It can keep you from the fruitfulness that God desires for you to have. So, Laziness is present. It's deadly and yet overlooked. Something either that's overlooked because we don't think it's a big deal or something that's overlooked because we don't think it's a part of us, but it can keep us from what God wants. So what do we need to overcome laziness? That's what we're going to explore today. And we'll start with this question. Proverbs uses the word lazy, or I like the word, and Proverbs uses this especially. I'm going to be using the, normally we use the CSB, but I'm going to use the ESB today. It uses the word sluggard, which is such a great word, such a powerful word that we don't normally use. And I like this word that the Bible uses, because lazy we almost, again, kind of think positively, but sluggard, no one says, yeah, it was a really sluggardy Sunday for me, you know. That sounds bad. Just the word, it's like, ugh, I don't even like to say it. So we're going to say it today. We're going to use it. It's going to be a word that helps us. What does the sluggard look like? What does Proverbs describe as the sluggard? In some ways, how do you know if this is characteristic or true in your life? And there's at least four things that Proverbs gives to us. The first one, and this is why I want to start with this and why it's so important, is that the sluggard is blind. They don't think they're a sluggard. They don't think they're... Maybe even as I started talking about laziness, you're like, I can check out. This one's not for me. In fact, I can just relax. I don't need to listen to this. (laughs) Oh, well. The sluggard thinks that he's not a sluggard. Here's one of the verses from Proverbs. that says, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So think about that picture. He doesn't do any work. He doesn't plow. He doesn't do the work to cultivate. But then when it's harvest time, he walks out ready to pick something and is like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Where's my fruit? Where's my vegetables? He's seeking at harvest time, but he has nothing. He's blind. He doesn't really... If you were to go out into your backyard and go, where's all my carrots? Where's all my cucumbers? Like, you didn't plant anything. Kind of takes some work to create something. But the sluggard is blind. He doesn't realize that he's a sluggard. And oftentimes, because of that, his life is hard and... He probably blames other people, thinks he's the victim, thinks he didn't do this. You don't understand. There's all sorts of reasons, all sorts of excuses. Proverbs says that the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway, a hedge of thorns, meaning it's not an easy path. It is difficult. You could talk to someone that's a sluggard and they would say their life is really challenging. Things don't work out for them. Things are hard for them. Things And it might be Because they've lived as a sluggard, yeah, life has gotten hard. But they don't see it that way. They don't think about it that way. They think, oh, this is important as well. Another commentary says, the wise man will learn while there is time. He knows, this is so important, that the sluggard is no freak, but as often as not, an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. The sluggard is not a freak. They're an ordinary person. They're just an ordinary person, but they're blind. They don't think that they are a sluggard. And so, if Proverbs speaks about it very often, which it does, if it's the epitome of foolishness, which it is, and if it's something that is not like a freak weirdo person, but is just really an ordinary person, then here's what we should do today. We shouldn't listen to these things and think, that's not me. We shouldn't listen to these things and go, yeah, those stupid sluggards, and judge. Or think it's about somebody else and go, hey, you really should listen to this sermon and text it to our friends. And then go, what sermon? "Uh, Well, it's called The Sluggard. I thought of you today. You know, We shouldn't do that. We should go, okay, what does God want to speak to me? Where might there be areas in my life that are totally sluggardly, or at least there's parts that are sluggardish, What might be those areas that God wants to speak to? So that's the first characteristic of the sluggard is that they are blind. They don't think they're a sluggard. Second, what picture comes to your mind when you think about laziness or when you think about a sluggard? What what comes to your mind? It might be some of the stuff that was up on Google or maybe you think of someone that's just kind of apathetic, don't do anything, They don't really care about anything. They're just lethargic, just kind of, eh, who cares? Nothing matters. That might be kind of what comes to your mind. But throughout Proverbs, one of the pictures that it gives to us about the sluggard is actually that it's someone filled with desire, someone filled with passion, someone filled with wanting things to happen. It's not actually just a person that doesn't care about anything and doesn't and thinks everything's not a big deal. It's actually someone often that is filled with desire. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Think about even this language of all day long he craves and craves. A lot of times we think about that as people that are hardworking, We even say something like, oh, they're hungry, meaning they're passionate, they're they're a go-getter. But Proverbs says, so is the sluggard. The sluggard actually craves and craves all day long. If you talk to a sluggard about their passions and their desires and what they want to see happen, they might have all sorts of dreams and visions and ideas and they crave and crave all day long. Proverbs 13 says, similar, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So to talk about even at this, there's a soul level desire and craving that a sluggard has. It isn't just the person that doesn't care about anything. It says deep within their soul, the sluggard wants things, desires things, is passionate about things. So the sluggard is actually someone that is filled with passion, filled with desire. So think about your life. What do you want? What do you crave? What do you desire? And I'm not even talking about bad things. You want your faith to grow. You want your marriage to be better. You want to have friends or deepen the friendships that you have. Maybe you want to get married. You want to explore more and to live more into what your purpose is in life and to and to make a difference you want to know the bible more or you want to grow closer to god or you want certain sins in your life not to be present anymore or you want to obey god and say i really want to trust him and follow him or you want to raise your kids to know god there's all sorts of desires and wants that you probably have that i have and proverbs says The sluggard craves, and yet one of the key marks is that they crave but get nothing. One of the key marks of the sluggard is unfulfilled desire. One of the key marks of the sluggard is desires and cravings and passions that never actually happen, that never actually take place. Here's another picture that it gives to us of this. He says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. So it says, I go by the field of the sluggard, and what do I see? I don't see this harvest. I don't see a vineyard filled with grapes and producing wine. I don't see these beautiful uh, crops that we see in in the opening images. I don't see that. I see barrenness, unfulfilled desire. That is one of the key marks of a sluggard that you want things, that you desire things, that you have a field, you have responsibilities, you have areas that you are responsible for or in control of or that you want to see things happen. And of course, the sluggard wants to see this field produce fruitfulness and wine and whatever else would come from uh, these crops. It wants to see that. But instead, what the sluggard sees is unfulfilled desire. So think about your life. Are there things that you want, things that you hope for, things that you see a need of to happen, things that you maybe even feel the the pain of it not happening? You see a need, you feel strongly about it, and yet there's unfulfilled desire. Maybe when your life is filled with barrenness or areas of your life are, Your marriage isn't what you want it to be. Your faith isn't what you want it to be. Your friendships aren't what you want them to be. Your growth isn't what you want it to be. Maybe where it's filled with weeds or it's filled with nothing, it's because there might be some characteristic sluggardness that's at play in your life. Even though you see the need. Even though you feel strongly about it. Sometimes it's easy to think that we're making progress because we desire something. Sometimes it's easy to think that we're moving forward because we see problems and we want something better. But your desire alone will not lead you to the fruitfulness that God has for you. So the second mark of the sluggard is that there is a desire and a craving that's often unfulfilled. And then third is that there is, and this is really why it's unfulfilled, that there is inactive desire. There's inactive desire. They desire something, they want something, but they don't start anything. They don't do anything about it. Here's what it says. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man it says that we want things, but don't begin. How long are you going to sit there? How long are you going to do nothing? And interestingly, the answer to that is not, I'm not going to do anything. What's the answer? I will, but just a little, a little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more... See, the sluggard thinks, I, I'm going to get on it. I just need a little time. Just give me a minute. Just wait. It's not right yet. The season's not right yet. The time's not right yet. As soon as this happens, oftentimes we can say things similar to this. As soon as I get married, as soon as I have kids, as soon as I get this job, as soon as I get this house, as soon as I get this promotion, as soon as I get this figured out, as soon as I get organized here, as soon as I just need a little bit of whatever, and then I'll get up out of bed and then I'll do the things that I desire. Where do you see that present in your life where you're not saying no, you're just saying, give me a little bit more time. This is what the sluggard has, inactive desire. But what we need to understand is that nothing leads to something in the negative sense. That when we do nothing, that always leads to something. It says, you think you're doing nothing. You think it's not a big deal. You think it's just a little, and then it feels like poverty comes upon you like a bandit, like an armed man. It feels like it happens all of a sudden like a train coming. It feels like that. (laughs) But really, it's just little by little by little that you have delayed, excused, said, I will just a moment inactive desire. I've I've told you this before, but the sin of good intentions, the sin of good intentions is one of the key things that will keep us from the fruitfulness that God desires for us. Knowing what would be good, seeing what would be good, desiring what would be good, planning to do it in a little bit is one of the key things that will keep us from the fruitfulness that God has. And then finally, finally, the mark of the sluggard is incomplete desire. Meaning maybe you actually kind of say, All right, I'm gonna start something, I'm gonna do it, but don't finish it. Here's what Proverbs says: the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now that's kind of comical. I've never, you know, been eating chips and salsa and dug it in the guac and been like, uh, never mind. This is too much work. I've never done that. I have felt maybe after having a couple baskets of chips and salsa, but I've still committed myself. I have not given up. I've never given up on chips and salsa or my wife. Those are my two commitments. <clears throat> the, sl- the sluggard buries his hand and it doesn't finish the job. Or here's, here's another one, similar. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So this is picturing someone that goes out hunting kills the deer, kills the antelope, whatever it is. And then it's got this nice big old piece of meat ready to cook, ready to roast. It says, that's gonna be too much work. I know that's way out of our minds, so it's like the Amazon package delivers and we don't open it. Or we go grocery shopping and then we never cook it. It says you don't finish the job. That's another mark of the sluggard. And listen, oftentimes the hardest part of fruitfulness often is actually after we've taken a first step. Maybe you said, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna grow, so you buy a book and you read a couple chapters and then don't finish. Maybe you said, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna go to church and you came to church, but then that was kinda it. Never actually got connected, never got involved. Maybe you said, I'm gonna work on my marriage. And so you kind of think about something, maybe pray about something, but then, nah, eh, that's it. Oftentimes, we put in a little bit of work, feel, oh, this is work, and then say, never mind. That's oftentimes what actually keeps us from fruitfulness. If you ever, I don't want to you know, throw any shade at anybody or make you feel too guilty, but you ever started a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year or a fitness plan at the beginning of the year or, and then... The hardest part isn't just saying, I'm going to do this. It's actually roasting the game. It's actually putting the chip in your mouth. That sometimes is the hardest part. So the sluggard, we can see four different characteristics. They're often blind. They're often filled with desire, but that desire is not fulfilled. There's an inactive desire that just says, give me a little bit of time. And then there's an incomplete desire. So what keeps us like this? What keeps us sluggardly? What is it that keeps us kind of in this mode? Maybe in all of your life, or maybe it's just certain areas that you see it. Maybe it's not true in work, but it's true in your marriage, or it's not true in your marriage, but it's true in your faith. What is it that keeps us like this? Probably all sorts of things. But here's a few that Proverbs gives us. The first is simple. It's pride. It says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Which means that oftentimes the sluggard, as I said before, has all sorts of reasons and all sorts of excuses and all sorts of you don't understand and all sorts of ways that they believe, no, you don't get it. But here's what often happens. Someone that is further along in their faith, someone that's further along in their marriage, someone that's not struggling with the thing that you want to grow in might try to give you counsel. And you think, no, you don't get it. You don't understand And yet the very people that God has put in our life that might be able to help us along, we say, I'm wiser than you. And yet we're struggling with things that they have not struggled with. We're struggling with things that they've been able to see fruitfulness in. The sluggard is often wise in their own eyes. Pride is like molasses. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us slow moving. Pride is like that. And here's the good news. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. That's not the good part. The good part is the Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which means if you see any of these marks of sluggardness in you, and if it actually has kept you unfruitful, the good news is you can humble yourself before God. You can say, God, I have been sluggardly. Maybe I didn't even see it until today. Forgive me, help me. I need your grace. And the Bible says God loves to give his grace to those that humble themselves. The second mark or the second thing rather that keeps us sluggardly is just a selfishness. We're concerned about ourselves. Proverbs says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Now, I don't, Vinegar on my teeth, that doesn't, I like salt and vinegar chips. That doesn't seem like a bad thing. I have a lot of chips in this sermon, but I don't, I don't think, uh, there's because there's a lot of chips in my life, and I'm just being me. I'm being authentic. So uh, vinegar on my teeth, I don't know if that's bad. But smoke in your eyes, you know when you sit around a campfire, and the wind starts blowing, and smoke gets in your eyes? I have a friend that has a fireplace that's one of those that's not supposed to let any smoke out. It's great in theory, but still smoke comes out. And when the smoke gets in your eyes, people, uh, it hurts, right? You wanna get away from it. It causes pain. And Proverbs says, this is what a sluggard does. It's not actually just something that's an internal personality characteristic. It affects those around you. It causes pain to people around you. Another verse is whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Or in another translation, it says, is a brother to the vandal or the one that steals, that takes. See, the core of sluggardness or one of the roots of sluggardness is our own selfishness and yet often not seeing that, that who we are and what we do or what we don't do actually affects other people. It destroys other people. It steals from other people. It hurts other people's eyes like smoke. It's easy for a sluggard to think, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not hurting anybody. This is just kind of who I am. I'm just relaxing. I'm just taking it easy. It's easy to think that it's not a big deal. But Proverbs says, it's actually really selfish because you are stealing love that you could be giving to others. You're stealing the mission and the purpose that God has designed you for, that you could be actually helping people around you. Instead of smoke in people's eyes, you could, I don't know what a positive thing for your eyes is, but you could be perfume to people's eyes. Instead of, instead of vinegar to people's teeth, you could be you know, something good for people. You could be toothpaste for people's teeth. You could be something good, but you're actually taking that away. You're robbing people of who God has designed you to be in their life. See, sluggardness is actually selfishness. It's actually us maybe saying, I'm not doing anything wrong, but we're also not doing anything good. And the Bible says that sin is when we do things that are wrong, but it's also when we don't do what is right. And there is so much good that God wants to do through our lives. And yet oftentimes, if we're sluggardly, we're saying, but I'm not hurting anybody but you're not helping anybody. I'm not causing any pain, but you're not causing any comfort. Sluggardness is selfishness, which is why the opposite in this verse, the desires of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but look at the opposite. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. See, it presents this as the opposite of, the opposite of what a sluggard is because what we're, our calling is is to give. It's not just that there's the lazy person and the hardworking person. It's that there's the sluggard and there is the righteous person, which means someone in right relationship with God and other people who then in their life is giving, generous, using their time and their gifts and their experiences and their money and all of themselves to bless other people. That's what our calling is. And so if you see in your heart this selfishness, where your heart says, uh, I'd rather do this instead. You might see a good thing, you might know it needs to be done, Ah, uh, but I'd rather do this, or someone else will probably do it. When you see that in your heart, to move forward from that, we need to remember the one that's the perfectly righteous one, Jesus, who gave and did not hold back in our life. See, the more that you think about how he has given to us and not held back from us, how he has worked in your life, hasn't he worked in your life? Hasn't he given to you salvation and community and growth and progress? It says God is constantly working in your life. The more that our heart remembers that, that focuses on that, the more we are then able to go out and give to others and not be ruled by our selfishness. And then, finally, it says that one of the key things that will keep us is fear. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now, as it comes to excuses, that's a pretty good one, right? That's better than my dog ate my homework. That is, there's a lion outside. But it's showing us kind of the preposterousness of the excuses that keep someone actually from moving forward. That there is a lion outside. There's some bad thing that will happen. There's some scary thing that will happen if we take action. So it's better to be safe. There's some bad outcome that will take place. There's some death that will happen outside. And so it's better if I just stay here where I'm safe. Don't go out into the streets. Instead, just stay in my sheets. I just made that up. There you go. It was on the fly. So Proverbs says that a lot of fear keeps us where we are. Think about, are there things that you could do or should do that you haven't done because of fear? Are there conversations that you should have that you haven't because of fear? Are there changes that you should make that you haven't because of fear? Is there giving and serving that should be done but you haven't because of fear? Oftentimes, fear keeps us The fear of the future, the fear of failure, the fear of things being uncomfortable, the the fear of things not going well, the fear of whatever it might be keeps us safe inside. God is calling us to step out. Where in your life are you filling your mind with the outcome, the lion? Where in your mind are you focused on the challenges, you might even think, why bother? It's not gonna go well anyway. I'm gonna get eaten by a lion. Where, where do you think? It's not worth it. Nothing's gonna happen. Where do you think you're even being wise and cautious? You don't think you're being fearful. You think you're being prudent. And yet Proverbs says, the sluggard always is looking at the lion outside. And you think that you are safe inside, but you're trapped inside. You think that everything is going well for you, but being so afraid of the lion on the outside might get you eaten by the lion inside. Proverbs says, fear will keep us sluggardly. So what do we do with that? We look to him that conquered the lion. You know that the Bible says that Jesus is the lion, the ultimate lion of Judah, it calls him. And if you remember from your Bible stories, he shuts the mouths of the lions in Daniel. And that image is used other times in the New Testament that we have a God that shuts the mouths of lions, which means whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever outcome, whatever lion in the streets, the Bible often actually uses lions as these terrifying images. But then it also shows that we have a God that defeats the lions in our life. That doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that he is the lion of Judah that has ultimately defeated Satan's sin and death and that even the worst things that happen to you, he works those things for your good because he's defeated the lion, which means you can step out into the streets saying, I'm willing to lose my life to actually gain it. I'm willing to face the lion because he's already defeated the lion for me. These are the things that keep us sluggardly. But you don't have to stay there. There's fruit that God wants to give to you. There's fruit in our lives that he wants to do, that he wants to produce. There's change and growth and joy and blessing that he wants to do. And so let's look at this final thing of how we turn from being sluggards. Maybe you've seen, all right, there's a little bit of sluggardness in me. Maybe you've seen some of the roots of what keeps you there. How do we turn from being sluggards, whether in specific areas or as a whole? Really, another question is just the opposite of the sluggard is diligence. What does it look like to be diligent? And Proverbs speaks this wisdom to us, saying, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. I hate ants. I'll I'll take a scorpion, a tarantula. I'll take a python with a viper attached to its neck. I'll take any of that. I hate ants. And part of the reason I hate them is because of how powerful and amazing they actually are. They can carry thousands of times their weight. They can build ant bridges, which is the freakiest thing in the world. If you think, I'm away from the ants, I'm safe, they say, no, we will we will build a bridge out of our own bodies. It's creepy what they can do. They are extremely powerful. That's why I hate them. There's a reason that it's called the antichrist. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, hey, if you think that's cheesy, wait till you have kids, okay? So you're filled with dad jokes. Ants are awful because of how powerful they are, because of how hardworking they are, because of how smart they are because of how aggressive they are, because they don't stop, because they keep going, because they fill your nightmares. That is why ants are so amazing. And Proverbs says, we would do wise to look at them and learn from them. And it gives us a few little things that we can look at. The first is that they don't have any boss. You know what that means? They have deep ownership. They take it upon themselves. They don't need to be told what to do. If we want to move away from being sluggards, this is often the first step in your life. We cannot say, we cannot say, once someone else figures this out for me, then I'll move forward. Once someone else sees this need in my life and helps me, then I'll move forward. Once someone else teaches me or helps me, then I'll move forward. And we can't look at needs around us or problems around us and say, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. The ant never does that. The ant has deep ownership. It sees the problem, it sees the need, it sees the desire, and it says, I don't need to be told what to do. I go for it. I make it happen. I look at what needs to be done or I look at the need in my life. I don't blame other people. I take it upon myself and I go for it. If you want to move away from sluggardness in any area, in your faith, in your marriage, in your purpose in life, in whatever it is, you have to start with, I don't need to be told what to do. I take it upon myself, and I go for it. I see the needs, and I sign up. I see the problems in my life, and I seek help. I see the pain of desires of growth I have, and I I pursue God. I see areas in my job, listen, by the way, this'll get you promoted. You see areas in your job, and instead of waiting to your boss to tell you, You just do it and make it happen. You find ways to go for it and make it happen. That is what the ant does. That is a deep ownership that is diligence. So for you, in your family, in your faith, in your job, in your growth, in your learning, what do you need to own? What do you need to take upon yourself? What have you been waiting for someone else to do? or to say, that's first. Second is that they make plans. She prepares. She is not waiting, the ant is not waiting until they need to do something, until they do it. They make plans. They look, they have foresight. They look into the future and say, this needs to be done at one point. This needs to be, this, eventually, there's going to be a winter. And so right now, I need to prepare for that. Eventually, you are going to suffer. Are you prepared for that now? Eventually, listen, sometimes I see people that all of a sudden have a tragedy kind of happen in their life and they have no community around them. Because the time that you need community is now. And then when tragedy befalls you, when need befalls you, and you need people around you, you actually have it. Sometimes people all of a sudden in crisis, and I'm not saying don't do this, you should, but in crisis, all of a sudden open their Bible and start saying, okay, God, I need you and help me. Great, do that. But the time to do that is actually before to be learning and growing closer to him in the times when you don't need it or don't, or it's not a crisis moment. See, the ant prepares. This is what diligence is. This is what a lack of sluggardness is. is is to prepare, to plan. What does it look like for you? Where in your life, maybe are things fine in your marriage, in your family, in your faith, but you're not actually making plans and building a life that is prepared for whatever happens. Similar to what Jesus says when he says, when we obey him, listen to his word and obey, we're building our house upon the rock because the storms are going to come. But you have to build beforehand when there's no storms. This is where spiritual disciplines are important in your life. You're planning. This is where even things like working on your marriage before you need to plug for our marriage discussion group are helpful. Regular date nights where you're building health. This is where just looking at your life in general and your discipleship and saying, where do I need to grow? And, And just making a plan for that. All of those things are helpful now before you need them. And then the last thing that we see in the ant is simply just that they do the work. The ant gathers her food. They take ownership, they prepare, and they do the work. They gather, they have, and if you watch ants, as part of my sermon homework this week, I was watching ants for about 30 hours. No, not really. But, <clears throat> but just watching the ants, they have grit. They don't give up. If you watch an ant, they They just keep going. They search and they go in every nook and cranny and crevice and they they grab a big giant chip and they drag it and they pull it and they grab a friend and then they drag it and they pull it and if they can't pull it, they just say, let's eat it now and they just go for it. They have grit. They don't give up. They keep working. They get the job done until it's done. They work hard. This is our call. Listen, you have been given by God sight, meaning you see things around you, needs, opportunities. You've been given responsibilities by God in your job, in your church, in your family. You have been given responsibilities and you've been given opportunities and you've been given gifts and abilities. You've been given a lot by God. Each of us has. The Holy Spirit has gifted you. He's empowered you. You've been saved and adopted into his family. He has given you much. He says, take that and put that to use. Be the ant. And that leads to a fruitfulness in our life. So for you, what's next? What's the next gathering? What's the work that God has for you? What's the action that he wants you to do? In whatever sphere, in whatever area, crumb by crumb, you can see progress in your life. And it might feel like crumb by crumb. It might feel like this isn't really doing anything. One chapter I read in the Bible doesn't really feel like much. One conversation doesn't really feel like much. One counseling session doesn't really feel like much. It might feel crumb by crumb. But God has progress and fruitfulness that he has designed and desired for you. We were talking to the the farmers at this farm, and they said that when they started this project that they were told by kind of their mentor who had done something similar. After the the first year, you're going to feel really excited, and oh, this is great. The second year, you're going to be like, this is really hard. The third year, you're going to say, this is stupid. What are we doing? The fourth year, same thing. The fifth year, you're going to want to quit because of how hard it is. And until you reach kind of the seventh year, you'll start to see a little bit of fruit And then eventually go, man, there's no other way. See, that's how it is often in our life, crumb by crumb. But there is fruit that God has for you. There is progress that God desires for you. God has a vision of your life that is fruitfulness. God has a vision of your life in his wisdom that he wants to let there be fruit. What would it be like if in your marriage there was more fruit, in your faith, more fruit, if in your relationships, if in our church, more fruit. That's what God's vision is for our lives. Fruit is joy and it's blessing and it's production and it's growth. That is what God desires for each of us. And we get that as we see the sluggardness in our life, as we see the roots of it, and as we begin to turn to Him, to diligence. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. If you didn't grab the cups in the back, you can grab them. And when we take communion, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. We're remembering that all of our sluggardness is forgiven on the cross. We're remembering that every selfishness and every pride, And every fear, and every way that we have actually stayed barren when he's called us forward, that God says, because of the blood of Jesus, I forgive you. I cleanse you. And you know what we're remembering also? We're remembering that we have the hardworking Savior that did his work for us on our behalf. When Jesus got to the cross, what did he say? He said, it is finished. Meaning Jesus is the ant, the better ant, that did his work that went all the way, that completed his work, and that now is even working. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion, meaning Jesus is working. He's active in your life right now. We have a hard-working Savior who has never stopped working for us. He did his work on the cross and he's working in your life right now. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't just have desire. He starts his desire. He completes his desire. He works hard for us on our behalf to help us experience more of who he is. And the salvation that he gives to us, we don't have to work for. He gives his salvation freely in grace. And the more that we see that, the more that we know that, the more that we take that in, the more that we then want to do work, want to love others, want to serve others, want to face the lion, So as you take communion, think about the Savior that forgives you, the Savior that has worked for you, is working for you, and will work for you, and ask him to help you to step out into what he's called you to. If anyone needs prayer, I will be in the back and would love to pray for you for healing and for anything else. Take a moment, pray, and then we'll respond in singing. Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your work for us, that you work all things for our good, that you are gracious to us, that we don't have to work for or earn our salvation, that you freely give that to us because of your work. We thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray that you would take those truths and make them more real to our hearts even now. And then, God, help us to be a church that is diligent, that works for the things that you've put in front of us, in our marriages, in our families, in our faith, in our city pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.